We took a look last week at one verse and its historical context in the Old Testament and the application and fulfillment of it in the New. That verse is found in John chapter 1. Said of John the Baptist, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as said the prophet Elias. We talked about what that means to prepare the way and that John the Baptist was a forerunner to Christ. Preaching a message of repentance in the wilderness. And today I want to continue looking at something else that John said. So turn to John chapter 1. We'll be just a few verses down from there. As we're reminded, John was in the wilderness. He was preaching and living the hard lifestyle of a prophet. Baptizing those who brought forth, as he said, fruits, meat for repentance. In other words, could prove by the way that they lived that God had changed their lives, that they'd really put their faith in him. He was not after a large number of followers. He was after people who truly put their faith in the Lord. And he would send those away who didn't have such fruit. Pick up in verse 29. I just want to read verse 29 to start with. The next day, John seeth Jesus coming unto him and saith, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. And really, this one verse is where I want to focus today. I'm going to read a lot of other verses today. Sometimes, as you've noticed, I like to dive very deeply into a specific person or a passage or a subject and spend a lot of time going over things that we've read our entire lives, perhaps, some of us, and maybe just kind of glance over because it's just part of the larger story. And other times, as I hope is the case today, we will see the larger story come into Um, view and more clarity as we consider what this passage means. Behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the world. How did John know this? Well, the Spirit of God told him. We discussed Sunday night last week that the Spirit of God was with John in an unusual way from his conception and before he was even born. That spirit seemed to continue to rest on him while he was performing his ministry. And so I believe he was faithful to the Lord, to God, in waiting until the proper time to announce the Savior of the world. And make no mistake about it, exactly what he said was doing such. And we'll discuss that. First, I want to point out, he was talking about Jesus and he said, the Lamb of God. It's not just a lamb. It is the lamb. And just in case we missed this, if you want to go back about a year and a half ago, we did a whole series of the attributes of God, and we had to call it quits at some point because we couldn't go on forever. And I pointed out that God, it's not like God is 10% mercy and 15% grace. God is all of these things at once. He is the truth. Not a truth. He is the way, not a way. He is the light, not a light. And there is a huge difference 
And we lose this today because many people want to take away from what God himself has said about himself and apply only part truths. He is the lamb, not just any lamb, not just another lamb, but the God-ordained, God-gifted, and God-sent lamb. And we see this in multiple places. Just briefly, just as a supporting text, 1 Corinthians 5, 7, the second part says, For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. He is the one that makes atonement for sins and reconciles or brings us back to God. And if you read the scripture from the near beginning to the end, we see lambs discussed over and over again. Sheep all the time through the scriptures. I think I mentioned Sunday night, there's been sometimes some effort to more than just rewrite the scriptures, but to change the scriptures, to try and make it easier for people to understand. Perhaps they don't have um, pigs in their land or they don't know what lambs are. But brothers and sisters, we cannot go so far. What a lamb and what a sheep is, is important to the scriptures. It is our job to then understand about these things and to learn about these things and come into the fullness that God has for us, not to change the animals and the places that the scriptures tell us. There's tremendous imagery all through the scripture. In fact, part of the uh, sacrificial system that was set up under the Old Testament and continued until Christ's final sacrifice set the stage for him to come because Christ was going to be the perfect sacrifice that, a pro- that a, uh, provides atonement for all. And the Israelites were told to sacrifice lambs on an annual and daily basis, in fact, but they only played a role temporarily. They were important. The Jews knew all of this. And so when they were listening to John the Baptist preach, in other words, we lose context here because he can say, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And to us, it either goes over our heads or it's just like, well, we've always heard that. Of course, God is a lamb. But to the Jews who were listening that day, it was only a short time before Passover, very likely. And they had spent their entire lives worrying about every year there had to be a lamb sacrificed at Passover. And every morning, every night in the temple, there had to be a lamb that was sacrificed for the temporary uh, forgiveness of sins. And it was only temporary. They knew very well what John the Baptist was saying. He was equating this person with the Godhead who would come for once and for all to sacrifice himself so that all could be saved. There was no confusion of what was going on here in this scripture. As I mentioned, the Passover was coming up. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of the Passover. I want to go back and read. And again, I want you to really look at the context here. Turn to Exodus chapter 12. Sometimes we're really quick to skip over some of these difficult to read passages that talk about genealogies, but they're very important. Or passages that talk about laws, but they're very important. So I want to read Exodus chapter 12, and I'm going to read verse 1 through 14, and I want you to listen. I'll try to emphasize certain parts of this passage. But again, think about John the Baptist proclaiming that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then listen as God gave these commands to the Hebrews thousands and thousands of years before. 
Exodus chapter 12, beginning with verse 1. The Lord spake unto Moses and to Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be unto you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. Speak you unto all the congregation of Israel, saying, In the tenth day of this month they shall take to them every man a lamb, according to the house of their fathers, a lamb for a house. And if their household be too little for the lamb, let him and his neighbor next unto him take it according to the number of souls. Every man according to his eating shall make your count of the lamb. For your lamb shall be without blemish. A male of the first year, you shall take it out from the sheep or of the goats, and shall keep it until the fourteenth day of the same month. And the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill it in the evening. And they shall take it blood and strike it on the two sides, on the two side posts and on the upper door post of the homes wherein they shall eat it. And they shall eat the flesh in that night, roast it with fire and unleavened bread, and with bitter herbs they shall eat it. Eat not of it raw, nor sodden with water, but roast it with fire, the head and the legs, and with the contents thereof. And ye shall let nothing remain until the morning, and that which remains of it until the morning shall burn with fire. And thus shall you eat it, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt this night, and smite all the firstborn of the land of Egypt, both male, man, and beast. And against all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgment. I am the Lord. And the blood shall be to you a token upon the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and the plague shall not be upon you to destroy you when I smite the land of Egypt. And this day shall be unto you a memorial, and ye shall keep it a feast to the Lord throughout your generations, as ye shall keep a feast by ordinance forever. And this is going back thousands of years to why the Passover was existence. This is the great miracle that God worked in the lives of the Egyptians. The final thing to finally get Pharaoh to release his grip of these people and to release them. But the people were not safe unless they obeyed the Lord. Unless they sacrificed the lamb and applied the blood to the doorposts and the top of the door on the outside of their building to demonstrate that they had faith in God to save them, they would be struck dead as well. And sometimes we miss this. Don't you wonder who didn't believe? Do you think the million or so that everyone did as they were told? I'd say probably not. Brothers and sisters, today it is not that much different. We take the sacrifice that Christ gave us and we metaphorically apply His blood to our lives that protects us and allows God to pass over us when it comes time for judgment. A couple of things here were noticed. That it was a, blame without, uh, a lamb without blemish or without spot. What that means is it had to be perfect. We could carry all the way forward. And for some of you who've been here for a few Christmases, you know how much I emphasize this. When Jesus Christ was born, it's entirely possible he was born in the same place 
the tower of Migdal Adar, where they grew, where they raised, rather, sheep for sacrifices. And one of the techniques that they had in that time to make sure that that little tiny lamb, unstable on its feet, would not fall over and knock into something and get a blemish or a mark that would change its color, or to harm itself in any way, was to wrap it in swaddling clothes. Do we begin to see the image? Do we begin to see the power that God has for us and the plan that He has in the very beginning? That He knew that we would need a sacrifice because we could not do this on our own. And He sent His only Son who was without sin. And that's a whole other sermon and a half. Who was without sin, who had no guilt, who was spotless, who had no blemish to be our sacrifice. Now, as I mentioned, there was another sacrifice. There was a morning and evening sacrifice. And that was also of a lamb. We see the prophet Jeremiah proclaiming or forecasting, prophesying in Jeremiah eleven nineteen. But I was a gentle lamb led to the slaughter. Every day, somebody had to take an innocent little lamb and lead it into the temple to be sacrificed. While you're in the Old Testament, turn with me very briefly to Genesis chapter 22. Here we see a great application of the message I tried to share with the young ones today that we can have faith and we ought to have faith, but sometimes we have to put our faith into action. We have to actually go out and do the things that God has told us to do. We have to work ourselves out and keep ourselves fit spiritually. And the only way to do that is by coming up against adversity. And here we see in chapter 22, Abraham being told to offer Isaac, his only son. The son that was miraculously born to him. The son that was to be the promise that God had told him, I will make you a great nation. And so doing something that seemed to make absolutely no sense. And Abraham obeyed. And takes his son to go offer a sacrifice to God up the mountain. Chapter 22, verse 7. And Isaac spoke unto Abraham, his father, and said, My father, he said, Here am I. My son, and he said, Behold, the fire in the wood, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for the burnt offering. Amen. Praise God. See, it had to be that way. It had to be that God himself would provide his only son, the Lamb of God, to be the sacrifice because nothing else would work. Nothing else would last. Nothing else would be sufficient. Nothing else could take the guilt that I have away from me except for the Lamb of God that only he could supply. And sure enough, he did thousands of years later to once and for all be the sacrifice for me when it is completed to sit down at the right hand of God and intercede on my behalf. Wow. 
the Lamb of God. Amen. But then he said something else very important. He said, the Lamb of God. I'm back in John now. Sorry. Back in the book of John, first chapter. We're taking this bit by bit. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. This word taketh has really a double meaning to it. And I think this is really important for us. And again, I'm hoping you see some connections with other scriptures and things that you have learned over the years. It means to take up and to take away. To take up and then to take away. So what does this mean to us today? How does this apply to what we're talking about? It means, in a a religious sense, to be charged with the guilt of something and then to bear it or take it away. Ezekiel 18 and 20 said, The righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself, and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself. You see, we bear the consequences of our sin. We carry that around with us. Maybe the easiest way to do this is to look at when we do something that is wrong and we end up with punishment or we end up suffering because of it. And we understand that we did something wrong and we have to carry the weight of that. But in this case, Christ, the Lamb of God, will take it for us. You see, the weight of the sin that I could not carry and be made right before God, Christ himself is willing to take on himself and to do more than that, to take it away and take care of it. I don't have a temporary burden that's been released. I have a permanent burden that Jesus Christ took and is no more. Not only the sins that I have committed in the past, the sins that I am active in today, and the sins that I will have tomorrow, I can look back to my point of salvation when I put my faith in Him, and He took up all my sins, past, present, and future, and carried them away, and they are no more. And when God looks at me, all He sees is His perfect Son who took my penalty and my sacrifice and carried it away. Christ is our substitutionary death for sin. We see in 1 John 2, 2, He is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but sins for the whole world. We'll get to that second part in a minute. And propitiation, I preached on that before. There's really not a better word to use there because it kind of means the same thing. And we try in our English language to find something better that maybe we understand, and we really can't. Again, it's this idea that he takes on my sin, and then he carries them away. And we even see that. I don't have time today to look at the two goats. One, the sin would be laid on and set free. That's a whole other study, but we see this parallel here. He is a propitiation. He pays our sins. He takes them up and he takes them away. Let's turn to Isaiah 53. With this in mind, I want us to listen to this with fresh eyes, with fresh ears. This idea that he is going to take my sins and bear them and 
carry them away. Isaiah 53, I'll begin with reading with verse 4. Listen to how many times the same concept is repeated. Brothers and sisters, if you never picked up on it, today is the day to see the connection. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten of God and afflicted. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray, and we have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquities of all of us. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before the shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare this his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked. And with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied by his knowledge. Shall my righteous servant justify many for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil of the strong because he hath poured out his soul unto death and he was numbered with the transgressors and he bare the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Do we see the connection? Do we see just how powerful it is when John says, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus Christ, who is innocent of anything wrong, took on your sin and your punishment. He took it on and it pleased God to have Him do it. Amen. It pleased God, a better translation in verse 10, yet it pleased the Lord to crush Him. Why would it please God to kill his own son? Because it restores me to him. Because the entire plan from the very beginning was to have you and to have me in one fellowship and one relationship with God. To live at peace with him, to know him and for him to know us. And that got messed up at the very beginning because of sin. Because we were disobedient. We had to be separated my brother said earlier, cast out from the garden, moved away. And the entire story is us trying to get back. And the reality is, I will never get back on my own. No single animal sacrifice will ever get me back on my own. It had to be someone who could take on my sin and to carry them away. And there's only one who can do that, the Lamb of God. Born perfect and without sin. That's why it pleased God. 
That's why we should think about it in that way. That's why this season of uh, our religious calendar is so important that we stop and we think about these things. What did it cost God? Separation from his son. Why do you think Jesus Christ hung on the cross and cried out? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because for the first time in all of eternity, Jesus knew what it was like to not be with his father. Because of me. Because of you. Because of us. And it had to be that way. 2 Corinthians 5.21 reminds us, For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. God. The righteousness of God. We have an opportunity to be reunited with God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. First Peter 2, 21 through 25. 1 Peter 2, 21 through 25. For even herein too were you called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow in his steps. Who did no sin, neither was guile found in his mouth. Who when he was reviled, reviled not again. And when he suffered, he threatened not but committed himself to him that judges righteously. Who his own self bear our sins in his body on a tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes you are healed. For you were as sheep going astray, but now returned unto the shepherd and the bishop of your souls." Let me give you my take on this. Not as in that I have an opinion, but my translation roughly. We should follow after what, what Christ did. And he knew no sin. Talks about there was no guile. There was no uh, argument in his mouth. And we see this again carried out in the Gospels that record his crucifixion. He came before his adversaries and said almost nothing. Just like a sheep doesn't argue with those who are going to cut it, to take its wool, or to sacrifice it. It is silent. It stands before the one. He was reviled. He suffered. But he didn't revile back. He didn't fight back. He didn't argue back. He was willing and glad to go to the cross and to take our shame and our punishment so that we could be restored. He was glad to bear our sins in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should be alive unto righteousness and by his stripes we are healed by his blood and his sacrifice. And here's the thing to remember. We didn't ask for this and we never would have. Christ loved us first. Before we even knew that we would need someone to save us, God loves us, had pity, and through His grace and mercy, designed a way out that I wasn't looking for, that I don't deserve, that I couldn't have asked for. But God loved me so much, He prepared a way for me to know Him.
Let me talk about the sin part for a minute. Behold the Lamb of God. I think we understand that now, I hope. That taketh away. He taketh up and he removes. What does he take up and remove? He is taking away the sin. Now you remember that John had been calling for people to repent for some time. For the remissions of sins. He'd been preaching that we had to repent. I've said over and over again, there's a a very big difference between being sorry for something and repenting. And for those of you who don't know that difference, I truly pray that God would show you. Because those of us who know the difference can point back to that time when we suddenly realized, oh, that weighs heavy. It should weigh heavy. The things that we've done. And John was preaching that we had to repent to receive the forgiveness of our sins. And now he gets to show who's going to do it. Preaching his whole life, it seems. You have to repent, 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 for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Make straight the pass. And then one day he gets to say, and that person right there is the one who's going to do it. It's the Lamb of God who will take away your sin. It's beautiful. Showing where the hope is. Showing who the hope is. It's the Lamb of God. Hebrews 9.25, a verse I quote often. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy place every year with the blood not his own. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once and for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. As I mentioned before, I got a little ahead of myself. We're born into sin. We choose to commit sin. When God forgives us, we have sins that we repent for. And the reality is God knows every sin we're going to commit in the future. And he forgave us of those too. What a blessing. He put away sin, his sacrifice once. For all time, for the entire world, past then and future now is sufficient. He does not have to die again. He will not die again. He has done it once and paid the penalty for sin. We must remember that our sin is offensive to God. It's so offensive that we're separate from him. And we must also remember that our sin is destructive to us. For those who are listening along in the Daily Audio Bible, we're thick into all of the ways that we have to cleanse ourselves and do these different types of things. And Brian does a good job of explaining, if you listen till the end, that he's teaching them how to be a culture. He's teaching them what's good for them. Brothers and sisters, we can look at God and say, well, God says I shouldn't do all these things, and I want to, and they're fun. God knows what's better for us. And I can honestly say, I can look back on my life, not that I've been perfect, but I can look back on my life through college, through my years working out in the rough parts of town, through the opportunities that I had to do, all kinds of things. And I can tell you that looking back, 
Some 41 years later, I'm glad I chose the straight and the narrow. And I guarantee you can talk to people who've been on both sides of that, and they'll tell you the same thing. They'll tell you, I chose Portland, I wish I'd stayed straight. And the ones who've stayed straight will say, son, daughter, I don't regret a single thing about my life because I did what God wanted me to do. It's destructive to us. And Christ takes it away. The Lamb of God washes us pure from sin. He justifies, He sanctifies, and He takes away. The last section of this, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. I'll talk about that for just a second. This is not just about the Hebrews. And you know what? I, I'm just going to guess that when John the Baptist said this, that made a lot of them really mad. Yes. A lot of them really mad. Because up until this time, it had been all about them. They were the chosen ones. They were God's select. They were the blessed of the Lord. And John the Baptist says, guess what? He didn't say, behold the Lamb of God which taketh away the sins of the Jews. He said, the whole world. No matter what you look like, no matter what language you speak, no matter where you live, if you are born of woman from man, you have sin. And Jesus Christ came, the Lamb of God, to take away your sin, no matter who you are, where you are, what you look like, what you speak, no matter anything, God died to take away your sins. That's a radical message that I guarantee you many were very, very upset about. Let me read again 1 John 2, 2. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only ours, but also the sins of the whole world. We've moved on from the idea that there are only a few. God wants all of us. God wants all of us. God wants you. Let's make this real personal. Because it says the whole world, we can also include your name in there. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of Ben. The sins of Vivian. The sins of all of us. He's a loving God who knows us individually who is willing to die for us individually and to die for all of us. And so I hope you've begun to see the meaning. Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sins of the world. I want to close as I do, speaking very clearly to two groups of people. Because the reality is very stark among us, there are only two groups of people in this world. Those who've been saved and cleansed by God, who know the Lamb of God, and those who have not been. There is no in-between. There is no, I'm deciding. There is no, well, I think I'm okay for now. I'm young. I got a lot of time to go. I'll decide later. 
There's none of that. You're saved by the grace of God or you're not. So let me talk to those who've been saved. 1 Corinthians 5, 7 says, Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. We're talking about bread. I remember back to the Passover. We had to get rid of the leaven. You couldn't have any leaven in your house. Leaven represents sin. It represents sin. So we have to get rid of the sin in our lives. And I'm talking to those who've been saved. I'm talking about the active sins that you are engaged in on a daily, weekly, monthly basis. We must get that out of our lives. Read the rest of the verse. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Now, let me read you a quote. I do that on occasion. This person is going to say it better than I could. It is our duty to behold the Lamb of God thus taking away the sin of the world. See Him taking away the sin and let that increase our hatred of sin and resolutions against it. Let not us hold that fast which the Lamb of God came to take away. Let it increase our love to Christ who loved us and washed us from our sins in His own blood. What does that mean? That means that God sent His Son to die for us, to free us from sin. And when we think about what it cost God Almighty to send His Son to die for us, to get rid of the sin that's in my life, I should make every single effort I possibly can to get away and keep away from that sin for the rest of my life. And when I have a temptation set before me to do an act that I shouldn't do or to have a thought that I shouldn't have or to do the negative, which is to not do what I should, then I ought to think about the fact that that sin is what Jesus Christ died to forgive me from and to free me from, and that should encourage me to not do it or to do what I should do. Every single time when we are tempted Brothers and sisters, those who know the Lord, let us not forget that Jesus Christ died to free us from those temptations. May we have the proper disgust when we are engaging in active sin to realize that we are in rebellion against God. Even after we're saved, we'll still be saved. But brothers and sisters, that is not how God wants it. And we should be encouraged by remembering what Christ did to free us to continue trying to live the right life. Now, we're never going to get there. As long as we're in this world and in this body, we're going to fall prey to the temptations to sin. But heaven help us if we use that as an excuse to sin. The Bible says, God forbid. Now, let me close talking to those who have not been saved. Those who don't have a point in their life when the Lord has revealed himself to them, where they've been convicted of their sins and have sought him in repentance and faith and received the forgiveness of sins. Let me read you a story. Acts chapter 8.
verse 26. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. The book of Acts is written as the Acts of the Apostles. It's what happened immediately following the death of Christ and a few years thereafter. And here we see this very peculiar story. And I chose this on purpose because I think it ties together very well what we're talking about. It's going to talk about Philip. Philip is certainly a believer. It says in verse 26, And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south, unto the way that goes down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is desert. Notice he was obedient. It says, And he arose and went, and behold, a man of Ethiopian, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasurer, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship, was returning and sitting in his chariot and reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the Spirit of God said to Philip, Go near and join yourself with this chariot. And Philip ran hither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understand what you are reading. And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired that Philip would come up and sit with him. And the place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, like a lamb dumb before his shearers. So opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare this generation? For his life was taken from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet of this, of himself or some other man? And then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And they went on their way. And they came to a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he commanded the chariot to stand still. And they went down into the water, and Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they were come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. And the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. It's the same scripture I just read to you. Do we see the message here? What am I doing today but standing here trying through the power of God to be a Philip unto you to reveal to those of you who do not know the Lord what are you doing? The one, the Lamb of God came. He lived a perfect life. He died for you. He took on and took away your sins if you would only believe with all your heart and repent to Him. And you too can go away rejoicing. Amen. Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who took away your sin and everyone else's sin. He is the answer. Not an unanswer. He is the answer. He is not a way. He is the way. 
and his blood and his death and his conquering of that and being seated at the right hand of God is what can give you a life eternal and what will restore you now to a proper relationship with Jesus Christ, with God Almighty. But it doesn't force you. Sometimes it'd be nice if he did, wouldn't it? Then I wouldn't have the chance to mess it up. But God's a gentleman. He asks. He sends the Spirit of God to convict us. It's hard to understand that sometimes, isn't it? John and Ainsley, you both struggled. But I'm glad you didn't give up. To those who've struggled, I'm glad you didn't get up, give up. Brothers and sisters, I come before you today and I give you a very, hopefully, plain message. One that you can see that carries from the very first book. And if I had continued reading, there's lots of imagery of the lamb and the slain lamb in the book of Revelation as well. From the beginning to the end, we see the importance that Jesus Christ is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And you must believe it with all your heart. And until you do, you are lost in your sins and you are dead in your trespasses and you are separated from God. And once you do believe it, boy, is there a commitment. Is there not a reason to shun away from the sin the very thing that Christ died to save you from. Because it's not good for you. And you're not getting helped by it. So let's have a time, an opportunity for anyone who would like to pray to the Lord. I do believe everyone who is saved is saved when they're communicating with God. May not always seem like we're praying. You may not have been on your knees. You may not have had your eyes closed. You may not have bowed your head. But I guarantee everyone who meets the Lord meets Him in a state of prayer and communication with Him. And so my encouragement today is, if you're not saved, you need to pray about it. That's what I mean when I say seek the Lord. You don't have to get on your knees. You don't have to come down here. These things don't hurt but they may not help either. But you have to go before God. You have to be willing to talk to Him. You have to be willing to find Him. And you should ask and seek to be found. Because just like the lambs that run off on their own, which we all do, God wants to seek those that are lost. And one last imagery I'll leave you with. A few weeks ago, it was the 90 and 9. God goes off to find the one that was lost, places that on his shoulders, and he comes back rejoicing. Will you let him find you today? Let's have a song, a time of invitation, please.